0: On Pi Day in 2015, I led a tabletop activity at a public event that focused on science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, or STEM for short. This particular event was special, and what made it so special is that the date of the event, March 14, 2015, and the start time of the event, 9.26 a.m., matched up with the beginning of the pi sequence, which is 3.1415926. The tabletop activity I designed for this day was about Fibonacci, the Italian mathematician who described a number sequence based on his hypothetical experiment with rabbits. You see the Fibonacci sequence in a whole lot of things in nature. And on this day, my focus was on the spiral patterns that can be observed in pine cones, artichokes, and pineapples. This STEM event had a career component to it, and the career I chose to highlight on that day was scientific illustration. And I chose scientific illustration because we learn so much from scientific illustrators, and the illustrations, and the graphics, and the videos, and the many other things that they create to help the public understand science and the world around them. I didn't want to tell students and their families about scientific illustrators. I wanted them to experience being one. So I created an activity to make this happen. And this activity involved learning the Fibonacci sequence by sketching a pine cone, a pineapple, or an artichoke in a way that a scientific illustrator would to relay information to other people. Students drew their sketches on large stickers I provided that had the phrase, I'm a scientific illustrator, printed across the top. And all day long, students walked around the event wearing their new identity. So why do I share this story with you today? Well, if you work with the public and at community events, you know that engaging with an audience is not easy. You have to do more than set up a table, lay out your brochures, and simply establish a presence. I share this story with you because when it comes to science topics, this Fibonacci activity drove home for me that it is possible to create an experience in a busy public setting that provides an opportunity to experience a scientific concept not just learn about it by someone talking at you about it. This particular Fibonacci activity also taught me not to shy away from topics as dense as the Fibonacci sequence, and it taught me what is possible when it comes to helping young learners establish a science identity. In 2021, this Pi Day activity was adapted for classroom use, by Sally Ben-Susan and her team at the Leonardo Principle. You can download a copy by clicking on the link in the show notes. What is the Leonardo Principle? It's a new resource led by scientific illustrator Sally Ben-Susan, art educator Jesse Nathan, and entomologist and museum educator Nate Irwin. You'll learn more about the Leonardo Principle in this episode. This conversation first aired in March 2021. Earth Day is less than a month away, and if you blend art and science in your classrooms or in your programs, you may be interested in what the Leonardo Principle has to offer. Welcome to Talatera, a podcast about freelance educators working in natural resource fields and environmental education. Who are these educators? What do they do? Join me, and let's find out together. This is your host, Tanya Marion. Today, my guest is Sally Bensusan. Sally is a former astronomer, a graphic designer, and a scientific illustrator. Her illustrations have been used by the National Science Foundation, the Smithsonian Institution, and Scientific American Magazine. In 2019, she retired as a graphic designer from NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center. Sally is the founding director of the Leonardo Principle, a new endeavor destined to become a library of STEAM activities focused on the development of observation skills blending art and science. What prompted Sally to create the Leonardo Principle? How did she launch this initiative? When did Sally's love of drawing begin? Let's find out. Sally, thank you so much for stopping by today. It's so nice to be able to speak with you in person. Thank you for having me. It's good to speak (laughs) with you as well. In our our past conversations, you shared with me how you drew a lot when you were a young girl. And so what started your love of drawing? Do you remember what that was? I had no choice. Yeah, (laughs)
1: okay. I I had no choice. (laughs) I I think, and I wonder, a lot of kids start out this way before they learn that they as adults that they can't draw, whatever that means. But actually, everybody can draw. And I guess I started picking up drawing implements as a little tiny kid, and at least that's what they tell me. And my father is, or was at the time working at a commercial art firm in New York City. He was actually making commercials. At first, he started out doing, it was an ad agency, and so he would do magazine ads. But eventually, I think he got into making TV commercials and would always bring back these wonderful art supplies from the office. So it was quite a treat. And I couldn't not use the art supplies. They were like, delicious. They were not only these enormous drawing pads, which I would always draw at the end of the day after my homework. And I think um, I I remember this one occasion where I I must have been uh, eight or nine years old, I don't know, something like that. And I would always sit in the living room next to the, we called it in those days, the hi-fi, which was the before the stereo was invented, and we'd play records. And while we were playing records, I would sit there and I would draw. And I remember drawing, I I loved drawing animals. And especially, I was getting really into horses. Uh, The kids, my friends up the street had books on the biology of horses. And so I was, we got into drawing horses. And so I was drawing one evening, drawing horses. And I was still trying to figure out why was it that the horse's hind legs had the, had knees that were bending the other way they were bending backwards the our legs have knees that face forward and I couldn't figure out what was going on with the horse's hind legs that they had these joints that went the wrong way So I was drawing horses' hind legs, and I was drawing them over and over, trying to figure out what is going on with these legs. I don't understand. So I drew, all right, I'm drawing one big hind leg. Okay, so I drew one hind leg, and on the other side of the paper, because it was a big pad, I'm going to draw my leg. So I had my leg next to the horse's hind leg, and that's when I saw my mistake. I discovered that, oh, the thing that was pointing backward, the joint that was pointing backward was really the horse's heel. Horses stand on their toes. Oh my God, that was such a revelation for an eight or nine-year-old kid. I had no idea of what was going on. So that was a revelation for me. And in a way, art, because it was such a discovery process, became my inroads to science. And from then on, I was hooked, pretty much.
0: That's a great story. (laughs) And, you know, I also know, you've also shared with me that children's books really inspired your interest in nature as well. And so I was thinking about that comment that you made in in a past conversation, and I was wondering, what is it about children's books, if you remember, that resonated with you? Because we're all in a role of being a storyteller. And so what element of the children's book caught your attention? I
1: remember, because I grew up in New York, and there wasn't a whole lot of nature around. So I did depend on books a little bit. There was grass, okay, maybe a little grass. And maybe there occasionally was a tree. It was a New York suburb in Queens. I, I grew up in Forest Hills. And in those days, yeah, okay, there was a little grass. and But books were important because that was my only way to really get a bigger picture of what's out there. But I didn't have a whole lot of training or a lot of animals out there are, I understood I got to appreciate insects later. But books, not only children's books, but really even adult books. I know there was the Time Life the Science series of books. They weren't very big, but they there was a whole series of them and I I would just pour over the pages to look at the photographs of animals. You know, what kid doesn't like animals, oh my God. And they all kind of are shaped, they have the same kinds of parts, like uh, as a human, but they all, but they seem to walk differently. Oh, and some of the legs and arms, well, not arms, because unless you're a primate. So I, I was really fascinated by the differences and the similarities after having that one experience with the horse's leg, that other animals were shaped similar but different. And I wanted to find out, well, why is that kind of, is that hoof like my finger or the tip of my finger? Or is that, you know, is that insect, those legs kind of look kind of like they have wrists, but... Are they called wrists? Ooh. So I would just kind of look at different things and try and, you know, because I'm a kid, so everything is supposed to be all about me um, and <laughs> all about what I look like. But it becomes a real fascination to see what similarities there are between other creatures <clears throat> and and me as a human. And then there were, I have to say, Way too many science fiction movies. Way, way too many science fiction movies, and that kind of ruined me. For, but also wasn't in very informative because it allowed me or enabled me to think beyond just me, and to and and in part think about why these other creatures or that these other creatures on our planet are similar but different. And why is that? I'm impressed that I I didn't become more oriented towards some study of animal behavior or animal structure in some way. But no, I ended up as an astronomer. Go figure. I just loved everything. (laughs) I don't know if I answered your question. You
0: absolutely did. (laughs) Uh, What prompted you to launch... Your Current Endeavor, which is called the Leonardo Principle.
1: When I left Goddard, I felt that I had been away from observational drawing for a while. And I remembered that my experiences as an observational artist, a scientific illustrator, was really all about observation in the sense of really getting to know a subject quite well by drawing over and over and over again and becoming really curious and interested about the subject that I was drawing. And I had been away from that for a while. And I thought, I need to tell other people about this. And I think also it was important for me to say that science and art were so closely related that kids could probably benefit from learning not to draw beautiful works of art. It had nothing really to do with that. It's more like use the drawing as a tool to really get into your subject. It doesn't even matter what it is. And also, I was asked by the Smithsonian Institution, in those days, it's quite a few years that I've been doing this now with a number of colleagues, but this was a program for science teachers from around the country who would join for a week, would come to Washington, D.C., and join a, a group of other science teachers, K through 12, and experience what scientists experience in the field and it was called the Smithsonian Science Education Center for Teachers and it is was basically for biodiversity week so it was sometime in the summer when everybody was off from school and i tried to figure out how could i impart an experience of being a scientific illustrator, which I was asked to do, to for teachers in three hours, without a, a drawing course. Well, okay, I figured it out. It's not going to be about. It's not going to be about art. This is not. That's off the table. In fact, it doesn't really matter. Let's think about how we can use art to be a scientist. And, and in fact, I, I, had an, I developed a number of little activities that I thought we could do in three hours. Like, they were almost really games in, in a way. They were disguised as games so that everybody could have a good time and, and maybe they'd even pay attention. And in fact, I began with one particular exercise as a warm-up. And we went on from there for three hours and ramped up towards more and more drawing. And by the end of the three hours, we had them drawing specimens from the museum collection. And everyone was very quiet and very concentrated, and they were really into it. It was a good experience. I'm hoping that everyone thought so. Uh, It seemed like that was the case. And so that was my long-winded answer to answer your question.
0: (laughs) No, not long-winded at all. That is fabulous. And so you took a gaming approach to get past that. That hurdle, that inertia, that, that I can't draw, I can't draw stick figures, that whole resistance. Yeah, that's not happening. We're not having yeah. any of that. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. And then what did the teachers think about the program after, well, the class that after it was finished?
1: There were a number of surprising reactions. At first, for me, the first couple of years that I taught this as the sort of the introductory visit, they all came to me first. And, and so they only saw me for three hours in the whole week. And then the, my colleague took over for the rest of the week. But the, the response was very interesting because it seemed to me that a lot of the teachers really hadn't thought of using drawing to learn about science or to really get into some of the life sciences. And it could be very easy to use in a classroom over and over again if you wanted. So I, I had a number of re- responses that were very specific about, oh, I never knew that you could do that, or I never thought to use art in my science class to enhance a a lesson. And I was
0: very happy to see that. And so how did you go from your Smithsonian program to launching your current initiative, the Leonardo Principle? Because there are a lot of people working on their own initiatives who are listening. And then there are also some people listening who are thinking about launching something that they feel that, needs to happen in their community or in their child's school or something else that needs to happen. So how did you launch this initiative? What did your launch look like? It took me a
1: year to work up the nerve to, work, to develop a website that would promote the use of art for science and also using science to teach art better or in a new, more observational way. And they really dovetail quite nicely. But I, it, it seemed, because I'd already had experience with the teachers, I wanted to see if I could impart, you know, more more lessons that would be useful for teachers. I, what I did was I signed up for a number of presentations with different teacher organizations like the National Science Teaching Association and also the NAEA, the National Art Education Association. And it's one of its more local groups for Virginia, because I'm in Virginia. And I gave some presentations, which in a way for me was a test to see what the audience would say about this idea. So I, I... gave them presentations that basically showed my experiences with the Smithsonian program that I mentioned and my experiences with the science teachers. And here are some activities that I tried out, and I went through the review of those, and I added a couple of other ones just to give examples of this. And I and this was a test to see what kind of, as I say, what kind of response I was going to get and was anybody interested. And it was quite interesting. I I found a number of people very interested. In fact, I remember one time as I finished my presentation, a doctor, a, a medical doctor walked up to me and he said, I wished I had taken more drawing classes as a kid, or at least drew more as a kid. Because I have a colleague who is so much more, you know, observant than I am in medicine. And I I feel as though I I missed out. And I was flabbergasted. I, I hadn't really thought of that in the medical, you know, community. But Oh my goodness. I wish I'd had a recording of that one because, you know, I I think that probably more people than could yes benefit from the use of drawing as a tool to learn more things. So that's how I started and because that seemed to be something useful, I thought, "Okay, well, how can I how can I use these lessons as a jumping-off point for getting teachers To think about integrating art and science in school system, well, we'll see. The school system, at least for public schools, may be much more restrictive than I have thought. And so I'm looking at talking with more teachers out there to find out what restrictions do they have. I know that the science teachers have the next generation science standards to teach by and I've looked at those, and that the art teachers have the the visual arts standards that they have to teach by per state. And boy, teaching doesn't seem like much fun. And I, I think what you could do is to first think of fun ways to engage students. And then figure out ways that might work alongside the standards. So I've started to add ideas for okay this le- this activity would be good for this particular list of cross-cutting concepts for the science standards and and this activity might even in, be in more enhanced by adding some lessons pertaining to these visual arts standards technical skills of some kind shape form color, anything that would really help them meet the standards, but also engage the students. This is hard. This is hard. And, and so I, I want to be helpful that way. But I also want to make sure that the things that I'm trying to put out there on the website with our team, I want to make sure they're useful to teachers. Not just things to do that are fun, but not really useful for as a teaching tool.
0: In your conversations with teachers, what are you hearing them say they need?
1: Well, let's see. Certainly, I do. The, the teaching standards are certainly a thing. But I, in my even my virtual conference experiences, where I've given a couple of presentations last year. I'm finding that, uh, at least for the conferences, I'm looking at the chat while I'm giving my presentation, and I'm finding that teachers are just hungry for, inform- for ideas. And I want to make sure, as I say, that the ideas are, pertain to the lessons they have to teach from K through 12. You know, some of the activities that I'm putting out there may not be good for, you know, K through four or five but might be great for middle school. So, you know, I'm going to leave it up to the teachers to determine how useful they are in the long run. But also getting the website up and running and then being noticed, that takes some work. So I'm now at that point where it is noticed. And that the teachers, I want to talk with more teachers about this. One teacher I spoke with last week had been a through K-5 teacher for many years, and one issue she came up against was that the teaching standards are so restrictive that the educational system has forgotten, in some ways, at least for public education, has forgotten how to think creatively and how to have their students think creatively about what they're learning, instead of just learning and learning and learning by regurgitation. And I was disappointed to hear that, and and that it, it might require me to maybe go to, at first at least, to other kinds of schools to spread the word there first, and then try the public school system after that, or... Maybe I should be brave and just bulldoze my way in there. I don't know yet. I haven't had enough experience. We'll see.
0: What type of ideas are you looking for for your website? Are you what in terms of also subject areas? How do you hope to fill this out, fill out your resource section? I am
1: looking for experiences, step-by-step instructions for observation development, as in so far what I have are activities that are fairly short-term and they don't have to be. I have activities that might take, oh, 40 minutes. I have activities that require maybe some verbal skills to practice with along with drawing. Um, I have activities that are drawing and taking and note taking which is where the where leonardo comes in i'm throwing around leonardo da vinci because he was my inspiration for drawing in the first place and oh by the way taking notes and and really being observant about what i'm looking at and drawing it over and over again so i'm trying to impart that kind of thinking to some of the activities there's one activity that just came in last week that was contributed by Jane Pelland, who is a, a teacher and also a, a scientific illustrator, who had developed with her, with one of the biology teachers at the Ashley Hall School in Charleston, South Carolina. And she'd developed a very simple but very Nice, very useful activity involving strolling around the school grounds and finding some element of nature that you might have walked by for days and days and weeks and months without noticing. And now your instruction is to study it. If it's a tree, if that's the only tree in the yard, go up to the tree, study its branching pattern, you know, look straight ahead and study the, maybe there's a pattern in the bark. What do you see in the bark? Well, is there, if you get closer, maybe you could draw the bark. Oh, oh, there's lichens there. Maybe you could draw the lichens or the, you know, maybe there are some, you know, mushrooms developing, unfortunately, for the tree. So, you know, tell me something about what you're seeing. Spend time. Notice nature like you've never noticed it before. Take notes. Then after the experience, go back into the classroom and discuss this with other people. Compare notes. See what they've seen. Maybe you haven't seen that. And these are conversation starters that that are ways of uh, explaining or ways of comparing information maybe someone could volunteer to read some of the notes and show their drawings and this could be done even online we haven't put that one online yet a, a description for online activities for that particular one yet but it could be done fairly easily but these are the kinds of activities we're looking for where there's there's nature involved where Kids, even in in an inner city, hey, there's nature growing up through cracks in the sidewalk. There's the alley. There's a weed in that alley that is for you. Look up. Maybe there's a tree nearby. Maybe there are birds flying overhead. Maybe there's insects on the ground somewhere where you could make notes about that. And then maybe identify what you've just seen and taken notes and drawn. So I'm looking for things that spark curiosity, ultimately, that are drawing and note-taking activities that are that require maybe some concentration. All of this does. But after a while, if you do it long enough, and if you do it over and over again, especially if you're a small kid, I've noticed that what happens is Curiosity takes over. You really get into the subject: the leaf, the bark, the the weed, the small insect. You really get involved with. Oh, this insect! It has it has six legs. Okay. Oh, wait! This insect has six. Le- oh. Maybe insects have six legs. What about this one? That's a spider. That has eight. Is that an insect or what? And I'm wanting to inspire thinking about things and really noticing stuff. And after a while, after you've drawn, uh, you start to see new things that you haven't noticed before. That's what the drawing is for. So that's, that,
0: those are the kinds of activities that I'm looking for overall. Fantastic. Fantastic. And teachers and practitioners can send material to you for consideration through your yes. website. Now, yes. If I can talk about your website for a little bit, you are also working on this project with two other people. You have a science and training advisor and an education advisor as well. Correct.
1: That's right. Yes.
0: Yes. yes. Okay. So Nate Irwin, which is your science advisor, is an entomologist. Yes. Correct. And Jesse Nathan's, the education advisor, is a middle school art teacher. Yes. Nate,
1: for instance, was my or is my colleague for the original classes or workshops. The the biodiversity week. He was the one that conducted Biodiversity Week. He set up all the scientists that the teachers would meet along the way during the week. He had people at Smithsonian, and I believe there may have even been some at the U.S. Department of Agriculture in in Beltsville. They were really getting a, through Nate, they were really getting a real-life set of experiences with real scientists in the field. So, Nate has been instrumental in pulling this together, and so he's my colleague from that point of view, and he worked at the Smithsonian for quite a while, and he ran the insect zoo at the National Museum of Natural History down in Washington, D.C., and so he's been wonderful getting the science teachers ramped up and, and excited about things, and Jesse Nathan's her background is interesting, too, because she, among other things, used to work for Scientific American. She was one of the associate art directors at the magazine and then got a certificate in teaching later and is now in, in Rockville, I believe, in a private school teaching art, but also has a STEM background, so it's interesting that she's got such a diverse background that she can dovetail nicely if she if she wanted to with their science department, and I believe she's done that before, so they've developed some lessons between the art and the science department, and so it's really wonderful to have
0: these two people as part of our team really, lots of different, really unique points of views and contributions going to this effort. Yep. Very exciting. When you look over your shoulder and look at the trail that you've left behind, what do you see? Wow. I
1: I I wish I could look over my shoulder. I'm hoping I left not a trail of debris that I need to clean up, but I I see my life as a series of investigations and, and trying to do this first and then let me, oh, let me try, ooh, let me get involved in this. Oh, wait, oh, that's really cool. Can I do that? Which led me up to the website. Um, but, but also, how can I bring other people along with me? That's important, to have other people be on this ride with me so that I, you know, so that we can share things. I mean, that's what humans do. But, but in my case, I, I kind of, you know, because of my experiences with science teachers in the past few years, I've discovered that, oh, not everybody has had these experiences with Art and science. So my science experience, and then my art experience, um, is is kind of like food, <laughs> for that I'd like to share. It's like having a picnic and saying, "Ah, oh, yeah, come on over here. I got some extra bread over here. Here, try this one," and and that's where the drawing comes in, as sort of the the bread to share with others who maybe have not tasted rosemary bread before or something like that. And so I found that at least as far as the science teachers go later in my, my career, because it's more recent, that, huh, maybe I should talk about this with science teachers and give them some more ideas. Maybe this would help, and maybe the science teachers and the art teachers would could band together and integrate the lessons. I know this does happen from time to time at some schools, but I'd like to see more of that, and I'd like to see it more wide open, rather than being so constricted with teaching standards. Maybe we could get creative with teaching standards so that we can enable teachers to be more creative. What's next for you? Wow, next. The next big thing. I think there's so much out there. There's so many possibilities. I, right now, I'm still concentrating on making this website as a tool much bigger and much more useful. For that, I might need some assistance. I might need some teachers to be on, more teachers to be on board. I've got Jesse and I've got Nate but it wouldn't hurt to have a few more teachers come along and with some more ideas so for now i want to grow the website as a tool for teachers to just come in and use as they need to maybe they can get some ideas from what we have and make new ideas and i'm okay with that i just would like to see i would like to see the educational system use more art in the teaching of of science and also of other subjects. I think we've gotten so concentrated on STEM that the other arts have become devalued. And I think that's a mistake. We, as Americans at least, I don't know if it's this way in other countries, but people in the U.S. have become so focused on STEM which is a very valuable set of skills, of course. But in the process, I think they have come to devalue the other subjects. And this is a problem because, from what I understand, the brain is a synthesis machine. It pulls in all sorts of ideas from places you never would have thought it would be useful and if but you have to have the places first you have to have arts humanities and the sciences and mathematics and yes engineering and it's important to have them all and they all feed into learning but you got to have in order to be creative you got to have stuff from everywhere you can't just focus in on some parts of learning without including the other parts of learning as well. This is, I'm hoping that we we can grow this a little more. I think a couple of points that I would like to make that maybe people don't think about very much, but that really art and science share many practices. They both share experimentation, exploration, Creative thinking, discovery, innovation. But the most one of the most really important skills is observation, that not only not only makes a better artist, but also makes a better scientist. Observation is really a useful tool, any time. And what I have also discovered is through my own experiences and, and the experiences of a lot of other people who draw, that really the physical act of drawing has also been documented to improve learning, to increase attention span and curiosity, and also to improve content retention, memory. And these things have been documented in neuroscience. And so I... I am very excited about the use of drawing as a tool to learn. Where can people learn about the Leonardo Principle? We have a simple website. It's leonardoprinciple.org, and it's a very simple website right now. You can learn about it on our About Us page or About the Project page on our website. Come visit. We'd love it. Love to see you. And if you have any ideas, you can just contact us. We're open all the time. We'd love to hear from you.
0: I would like to thank Sally for introducing us to the Leonardo Principle and for inviting us to contribute to this growing resource. To find out how you can submit activities for consideration, go to leonardoprinciple.org. Thank you for joining us today. See you next time. LaTerra is a podcast for and about independent educators working in natural resource fields and environmental education. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and colleagues. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Tanya Marion.